I've been in services where you hear a whole sermon about, I don't know, something that has to do with whatever, you know, like loneliness or something. At the end of the, the, the sermon, I've heard pastors give altar calls. If you feel lonely or if you're sad, come to Christ. Now, it is true that it, when we're in Christ, Christ may give us joy, but we're not saved from loneliness. We are saved from sin. We are saved from the wrath of God as a result of our sinfulness. Matthew 1.21 says, She will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. People don't know they're sinful unless they look at themselves in the mirror of God's perfect holy law. If we don't do that without people knowing that they're sinners, they're not going to come to Christ for proper understanding of His salvation. Because salvation is from sin. It's from our sinning that we need to be saved. Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for October 14th, 2018. Today, Brother Omar brings us a message called Statement of Faith, Doctrine of Sin. Brother Omar teaches us what sin is. He says that sin is not a mistake that we make, but it's deliberate and intentional disobedience to what we understand is right. Brother Omar says that sin not only affects us and others by enslaving us, but sin is primarily against God and His person and God's character. Brother Omar says that when we sin, we sin against God because He can see it even when others can't. Now he'll be reading from the book of 1 John, so grab your Bible and follow along with us as we explore God's Word here on Followers of the Way. So you guys know we are in our series, A Statement of Faith, and we are going to be, we're going to be speaking today or we're going to start a series of sermons on the doctrine of sin following our statement of faith. Having been done with the doctrine of man, we're moving on to the doctrine of sin. Now, there's going to be a series of sermons addressing what the Bible says about sin. Today is going to be sort of like a brief introduction, and then there will be several other sermons following. Uh, we're going to be out sometime in November. November, there's going to be two Sundays back to back that we're not going to be here. Because we're going to be up in New York, but um, if I'm not done by then, by the time we come back, we want to look at what the Bible has to say about sin. Now, this is uh, the part of theology where things start to get a little heavy when we talk about sin, the sinfulness of man. And it's not a topic that is very popular. You can, you can go to churches today and spend years without hearing a word about sin and sinfulness and, and things like that. So it's not something that makes for uh, popular preaching. You don't get a shares, video clip shares on Facebook when you talk about <laughs> sin. But if we're going to be um, faithful to this book and to the Word of God, when we have to be willing to navigate through all of the Bible, including the parts that are not so nice, and we will be looking at many verses that deal with sin in the next several sermons. But today, I want to start with a, a sort of like a bare minimum definition of what sin is. Although the Bible has a lot to say about sin. In fact, it's one of the major themes, if not the major theme in the Bible. And the fact that you don't hear much about it, that shows you how much of the Bible is not being taught out there. But 
at bare minimum in 1 John chapter 3, if you want to go there, please go there if you have your Bibles or your phones or your apps. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, you get a brief sort of definition of what sin is. Beginning in verse 4, an apostle John tells us this. He says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, for sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Now, depending on which translation of the Bible you have, you're going to find different ways in which this is rendered. It's rendered in some Bibles as transgression of the law, and some other Bibles is uh, rendered iniquity. Now, the idea is the same. The Greek word here is anomia, from the word nomos, which means law, and ah, which means without. So sin is something that is without law or a transgression of the law. It is a disobedience to the law of God. So before we even get into the issue of sin, we have to first define what does he mean by God's law. If sin is a transgression of the law, what law is he speaking about? Or what is he referring to? Uh, for example, are you sinning if you eat bacon or pork? Or are you sinning if you uh, don't keep the Sabbath, etc.? In fact, nowadays, for whatever reason, I've noticed there's a quote-unquote movement, I guess, for lack of a better word, among some Spanish-speaking folks of becoming these, what do they call them, messianic Jewish people, where you're Christian, but they keep the Sabbath, they uh, don't eat pork, and they do all of that stuff. So we have to, uh, looking at the scripture, what does he mean by God's law, or what is God's law? And I'd like to, to give you sort of like a brief run-through of God's law as is presented to us in the Bible. Now, theologians, if you look at the whole spectrum of the, the scriptures in the Old Testament and you look at God's law, you're going to find there are three ways in which God's law in the Old Testament is divided. You have God's law, for example, the ceremonial law of Israel. Now, the ceremonial law of Israel is the temple law or the ritual regulations given to the Jewish people. It's primarily uh, dealing with issues sort of like on the temple and, and the cleaning rituals that you see in the Bible and the washing of hands and, and the blood sacrifices, etc., and the rules and regulations that are given to them. And the main reason, there was two main reasons for this. Firstly, to distinguish their worship and religion from the nations around them. When you look at Israel in the Old Testament, and you look at the nations around Israel in the Old Testament, you're going to see a, a difference in the way that they worship their God as opposed to the way they worship their gods. For example, the, the gods on the nations near Israel would sacrifice their own children to their gods. They will pass them through fire. All of that is prohibited in the Old Testament law. The Jewish people never or were prohibited to do that in the worship of the temple. Also, and this is very important, the other reason 
is to offer us a preview of Jesus Christ. The law, the ceremonial law of Israel was a shadow of Christ's sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 9, if you go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, it says this, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. So the law, the ceremonial law, the temple, the sacrifices, etc. were a shadow. Think of it as a, like a photograph. For example, if my wife was in a boat and the boat crashed or whatever, and she was stranded on an island, I will have a picture of my wife, and people could ask me, is that your wife? She says, that's my wife. I miss her every day, you know, etc. But that picture is a rep representation of my wife, but that's not really my wife. If my wife were found and she came home, her person is my wife, and the meaning of that picture is now set aside because I actually have the real person in front of me. So the law, the ceremonial law of Israel, was a picture of Christ. It's good to look at it, but it no longer serves its purpose because the picture has been set aside because now we have the actual person that the picture represented. So the ceremonial law of Israel has been fulfilled by Christ. This is what the writer of Hebrew tells us. And it was never the intention. So you don't, you don't marry a picture of your wife. That would be very weird. You marry an actual person. It was never the purpose of the ceremonial temple sacrifices to cleanse from sin. They were a preview, a shadow of things to come. So the ceremonial law having been fulfilled with the sacrifice or atonement of Jesus Christ is no longer binding or operating today. Jesus himself told this to his disciples. He said in John chapter 2, verse 19 to 22, Jesus says this, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remember that he has said this, and they believe the scriptures and the word that Jesus has spoken. So Jesus tells them this temple that you guys love so much will be destroyed, and in three days I'm going to raise it up. He's talking about himself. He's talking about his temple, which is his body. And then, interesting, when he was resurrected, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed the Scripture. The Scripture, the Old Testament, spoke about this. But the revelation was not completely given to them until Christ is risen up from the dead. The body, the person showed up, and the picture now has been set aside. So the ceremonial law, it's the law of God, which is fulfilled 
in Jesus Christ. So that's the first sort of division or aspect of God's law. The second one is the judicial and civil law of Israel. These are the regulation given to the theocratic state of Israel to apply to them in detail. These are the laws that have to do with the civic government of Israel. So, for example, in the Old Testament, God gives the people of Israel a series of laws and regulations on how do they govern themselves. If, if you found a donkey, for example, walking around, the law of God says that you should tie, go and get it. If you can't find the owner of the donkey, you tie him up to a tree and wait for somebody to come and claim it so you can give it to him. There is no finder's keepers in the Bible. You find it, you try to get the owner of it, right? That is the civic law of Israel. Now, the civic law of Israel was things that were given to them to govern their state, which are no longer binding upon any other nation, except in principle. The principles of the civic laws of Israel still bind all other nations. I'll explain this when I get to the next aspect of God's law. The third aspect of God's law is the moral law. The moral law is the abiding, eternal law of God upon which all law is based upon. It originates in God's own nature and is forever binding upon all human beings and can never be done away with. This is the law first revealed to Adam. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat because in the day you eat of it you will die. And this law is best expressed in the Ten Commandments and summarized by Jesus as loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. God's moral law is the foundation of all laws, both the judicial law of Israel, the ceremonial law. It informs who we should be as human beings. It's a reflection of who God is. Thou shalt not steal means what? Honesty. Thou shalt not lie. Honesty. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That is God's moral law. God's moral law can never be set aside. Still binding. Stealing is still a sin today. Killing is still a sin today. It is a reflection of the character of, of God. The moral law as expressed in the Ten Commandments is still binding upon all human beings and has been from the beginning. When God tells Adam, don't eat of this tree, you know, you can, of the tree of the... Um, of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. If you eat, you will die. What does that mean? It means I'm your God. You should have no other gods before me. What was the temptation that the serpent gave Adam? You will be like God. See, you can worship another God other than the God that gave you everything that you have. You can worship yourself. You can be like God. You can be a God. That's the temptation. The first temptation was idolatry. You worship yourself. You don't have to worship the God that gave you life. And so, when the Apostle John, like I said, this is the principle upon which all law is informed. For example, like I said about the civic law of Israel, is that still binding upon us? Yes and no. For example, let's say, like I told you the example of the donkey, 
Okay? In detail, specifically, the law of God in the Old Testament says if you find a donkey, you tie it, you find the owner. Right? What's the principle of that? The principle of that is today, if you find a cell phone laying around somewhere, you should do your best to find the person who owns that cell phone. If you grab it and take it to your car, it's like, man, I found a cell phone, it's mine, I'm going to go and sell it on eBay. That's called sinning. The Apostle Paul did that. There was a law in the Old Testament that said, if you have a bull who's threading, what do you do? You let him eat. Why? Because he's working. So he's, 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 as he's working, let the bull eat. The Apostle Paul gave that law and used it as an example to say to the people in the church, if you have a minister who's ministering God's word, then he is worthy of being paid to minister like that animal in the Old Testament should have been given to eat. The principle is, if somebody is doing honest work, he deserves, right, to be compensated for that work. That is the principle of a civic law applied by Paul to people. Because this moral law informs that law as much as it informs our relating to people. Because it's the law of God, it's how we relate as human beings, is that how God is. So if you are an employer, you pay properly. You don't say, let me get me a guy so I can pay him $4 an hour under the table. No. You pay him properly. God's law informs all things. That is when, when the Apostle John tells us that sin is a transgression of the law, he means the sin is a transgression of God's moral law, which is reflected in the Ten Commandments. And so, what is the function of God's law? God's law is not for salvation. We're not saved by keeping God's law. The function and purpose of God's law today in this uh, dispensation in which we're living is to show us, to reveal to us our sinfulness. This is why it's important as a church that when we preach and when we speak, we always uphold God's law and God's standards. Because by the law, listen to Romans chapter 3, verse 19 says this, Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his size, but by the law is the knowledge of sin. Law, God's laws, His Ten Commandments is what shows us that we are sinners, that we have failed. Is the preparation for us to accept God's grace. In Matthew 1.21, you know, I've been... I've been in services where you hear a whole sermon about, I don't know, something that has to do with whatever, you know, like loneliness or something. At the end of the, the, the sermon, I've heard pastors give altar calls. If you feel lonely or if you're sad, come to Christ. 
Now, it is true that when we're in Christ, Christ may give us joy, but we're not saved from loneliness. We are saved from sin. We are saved from the wrath of God as a result of our sinfulness. Matthew 1.21 says, She will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. People don't know they're sinful unless they look at themselves in the mirror of God's perfect holy law. If we don't do that, without people knowing that they're sinners, they're not going to come to Christ for proper understanding of His salvation. Because salvation is from sin. It's from our sinning that we need to be saved. Romans chapter 7, verse 7 says this, What shall we then say? Is the law sin? By no means. Yet if, I had not, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, Thou shalt not covet. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The law kills us. That's the function of it. That's the purpose of it. Paul shows here very explicitly that the purpose of the law is not to justify you before God or to even sanctify you, but to bring to show you your sin and our wickedness. Galatians chapter 3 verse 24 says, So then, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ in order that we might be justified by faith. Law is the mirror by which you can see your rebellion. It is the duty of the church when we're doing gospel preaching, gospel preaching, to present God's law always before we present grace. Because God's law is what makes God's grace grace. You're saved from sin. So 1 John chapter 3 again. Take a look at that, that passage very carefully. You're going to notice a couple of things. Number one, sin is a voluntary rebellion. Verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. lawlessness and sin is transgression of the law. John Wesley puts it this way. He says, sin is a deliberate intentional transgression of a known law. It's not a mistake. Sin is not a mistake that you make. It's an intentional, deliberate disobedience to what you understand is right. That's what sin is. Sin is not a mistake, but willful disobedience. It is a rebellion against God. Sin is primarily against God, His person, and His character. Psalms 51 verse 4 says, Against you and you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Sin is primarily against God. When we sin, it's not that it affects our relationships, it does, but it's primarily a, a, a transgression against God. We sin against God. When we are alone, 
When nobody sees us and we sin, we're sinning against God because he can see you. Sin affects God. Isaiah chapter 63 says this, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and he himself fought against them. Sin affects God. Bible cells don't quench the Spirit of God. Secondly, sin affects you. It enslaves you. John chapter 8, verse 34 says, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Sin affects God, and it's primarily against God, but it also affects you as a person. It enslaves you to sin. Proverbs 5.22 says, The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. The iniquities, that's the same word, the transgressions of the law of the wicked, ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. Sin enslaves you. Secondly, it condemns you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, not the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Sin condemns. If God is good, and He is a good judge, then He has to condemn you don't call a good judge who lets people break the law and murder people, and he just lets them get away. That's not a good judge. That's a bad judge. God is a good judge, therefore he must punish. Revelation 21 says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars will have their part in the lake which burns with fire, which is the second death. Revelation 21 Lastly, sin affects those around you. If you look at the story of uh, David when he committed adultery, it was the beginning of a chain reaction of sins. I mean, it went from there, him committed adultery, to him um, murdering a man or setting him up for, mur to, you know, for murder, and then his children, his family, down the road, his, his kids hated him, etc. I mean, it was just the beginning of a series of awfulness. I mean, David's, King David's last years of his life was horrible. It all began with one sin. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27 says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? No, he cannot. Sin, even done secretly, will affect things around you. Sin brings reproach on entire nations. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I don't have time to show you the, the just dozens of verses that show you that 
Uh, nations can fall and rise because of sin, because of their morality. In fact, it's the number one reason why nations fall and rise. It's not you know, economics or whatever. It's, it's sin. Sin at the leadership, sin in the people, sin in the, in, in the society will bring nations down, will determine if nations uh, are going to have a future or not. Sin. It's the reason why the world is the way it is, is because of sin. The things that you see outside, the things that you watch in the news, uh, the things that you see in history are all a result of the sinfulness of man. Mankind. You know, you ever seen that movie, uh, The Matrix? Where the guy says, I know, uh, uh, what's his name? Morpheus. He tells Neo, I know where you're here, Neo, right? You know there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is. Well, I know what it is. It's called sin. The Bible is full of it. It's the reason why we're falling. It's the reason why you see the things that you see outside. is because of sin. And the sad thing about it is that we have a remedy for it. We have a remedy for it, but we are too afraid to give you a diagnosis. We work around the Bible Today, in the American evangelical religion, we, we dance around the Bible and we never get to the real issue, which is sin. And we have a remedy for sin. Sin is worse than cancer. If you get a, a, a diagnosis that says you have cancer, sir, you're going to die. That's a good doctor, by the way. Bad doctor will just be like, oh, you're fine, it's all right. Six months later, you're dead. You never knew. Why? That's a bad doctor. A good doctor will tell you, you have cancer at stage four. That's awful. Well, we're born in a fallen world, and we're sinners. That's a worse diagnosis. But that worse diagnosis has a remedy. Whereas cancer, maybe, you know, maybe you take some treatment. Maybe you make it. We don't know. But if you're a sinner, it's worse than having cancer, and we have a remedy for that. We have a solution, and it's 100% sure proof the solution. So, when you see, as bad as, as, bad as um, the Bible speaks about sin, that's how great His grace is. Because a man can be saved, not by trying to make up for what he has done, but by putting his faith in Jesus Christ. That's the remedy. So sin is a known disobedience to a command of God. Or not doing what God tells us. It's a deliberate and intentional disobedience. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short. The Bible in Romans 3, and we'll get to that later on, even says that we are under sin. We're under sin. You're under the water. You cannot get out. We're under sin. We just not do sins. We're under sin. It's described as a power. It's described as bondage as chains that doesn't let you move freely. 
is described as darkness that doesn't let you see. The Bible, as hard as some of this stuff is going to be when we get to the scriptures, um, always remember the, the hope that we have in Christ and the light of the gospel shining through and that God, who is holy, this is what is amazing about um, the gospel is that God is holy. Holy. He can't even look at sin. There is no sin where he dwells. The, the, whenever he's described in the book of Revelations or even the book of Daniel, there's, there's angels and creatures worshiping him saying what? Holy, holy, holy. Holy, 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 day in and day out. That's all they can say about who God is, is that He's holy. And that we are not holy. And yet, the same God, who is that holy and pure, comes down in the form of a man, lives in this world with the same sinful, wicked people, it is, he is murdered by these wicked people for their salvation so he can clean them and cleanse them. This is the most amazing thing in the world. God is a holy God, and we're not. The scriptures in Hebrews chapter 4, which is why these are weighty truths, that we have to meditate on. But here's the purpose of God's Word. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints, of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him we of, to whom we must give account. All creatures are naked and exposed. You think about the, whenever people talk about government corruption and stuff that is done behind the scenes and hidden and stuff, it's not, it's not hidden, not from God. All creatures, all men are naked and exposed to the eyes to whom we must give an account. We will all give an account. Sin will not go unpunished. It's going to be punished in Christ or it's going to be punished in you if you're outside of Christ. All sin will be punished and we will all give an account. And outside of Christ, we have no hope against a holy God. So, this is why it's important as a church and as people who minister the word, as we all are, to don't follow the, the stream of our modern day Christianity that makes little of these things, makes little of sin. It's a serious thing. And we have all done it. We have, we have all sinned and falling short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. Your salvation, when you're this side of the cross and you're saved, that's where you get your patience with people. Why should I put up with, with, with somebody at work, right? Because you are a sinner and God put up with you. That's why. 
oh, but he, he, talked, he looked at me wrong. I didn't like why he treated me. He treated me a certain way. You know, why should I put up with it? Because you treated Christ worse than he put up with you and, was, and reconciled you. So I plead with you to meditate upon these words and to look into your hearts. So you can, I mean, we can all see our hearts. And let the Word of God search our minds and our hearts. Because we're going to talk about not only sin and the aspect of the unbeliever, but also the sin that we have in our lives as Christians. We still have to battle sin in our lives. And the Bible says that God, through His Spirit, and we can't get, I don't want to get into that too much, but God, through His Spirit, is working in our lives in sanctification. So not only did He save us from our sins that we have committed in the past, but He is saving us from the sins that we're committed and tempted to commit every day. The Spirit of God is, that brought you to Christ is also bringing you through your everyday life and your sin and sanctification. That's how big of a theme sin is in the Bible. Before you got saved, while you're saved, and eventually... The whole Bible leads into this theme. Me and my wife, we've been reading through Revelation. That's, that's our devotional Revelation. Um, and you get to that scene, and at the end of the Bible, what do you find? Man from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping before the throne, saying, Holy is the Lamb, etc. And all of those men were brought out, the, brought out of the tribulation, as, as the Apostle John says. And they were cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, and they were given white robes, etc. They were cleansed. Cleansed of what? Cleansed from sin by the blood of the Lamb. It's just carrying you through all the way from our sinfulness that we've committed through our salvation, where Christ died for the sins that we've committed, and then in our everyday life, the work of the Spirit, getting rid of the sins that we're committing, and sanctifying us and empowering us all the way through the day that we stand before the multitude worshiping God. And it seems that we're going to be all worshiping in different languages. That's what it seems to me. So, like I said, the doctrine of sin is an important doctrine. It is the overwhelming theme of the Bible. And it is important as a church that we understand it and also that we uphold God's law, which is what shows us who we are. In fact, in the book of James... I didn't put it here. I just remember the, in the book of James, it talks about it's like a man who looks at himself in the mirror and then walks away. He doesn't even remember who he is. He says, don't be like that. Be like a man who looks at himself in the perfect law of liberty. Let the law of God do the work in our hearts so we can see who we are and let the Spirit of God cleanses us. And the grace of God that brings us salvation carries us through. So, as we continue in these couple of weeks looking at the doctrine of sin and the different aspects of it, always keep in mind that as dark as things may get, the light of the gospel shines through. And our, our, the grace of God, where, there is, where, sins, where sin abounds, the grace of God abounds even much more. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your scriptures, Lord. We thank you for the great salvation you brought to us. 
We thank you, Lord, that despite while we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your spirit, Lord, and sanctification. And we thank you, Lord, for your spirit who draw us and brought us to you so that we can be saved and justified by grace. I pray, Lord, for all of us here throughout the week and that these words might work in our hearts, Lord, and that may continue to make us more like you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.